Decapod, the podcast for the Roberts Lab NPRB-funded project investigating the effects of bitter crab disease and temperature changes on southeast Alaskan tanner crabs. In this week's episode, Sam, Stephen, and I give an update of where we stand in terms of our libraries sent to the Northwest Genomic Center. Basically, we have pooled libraries accounting for sampling days and infection statuses. We also talk about what we'll be doing once the data comes back. So let's get to it. All right, so what's the state of what thing, how things are going on? So we have made about how, well, first you've got the one library of all the samples already annotated and done. But Sam, you recently generated some number of library RNA-seq libraries. Do you know roughly how many libraries those that you did? Um, twelve, ten. That's the rough. Number. Ten to twelve libraries. Yes. They're kind of rep- good representations of some of our different treatments in terms of uh, temperature? Yes. And those have probably been at the sequencing facility for maybe a a week or so, right? Uh, Yep, that's correct. And they got back to me with QC, which was sort of not really important. The QC was whether or not had their minimum required amount of RNA, um, which was one microgram. But I said, when I provide the samples, you tell them what amount of RNA you're providing with, so they knew exactly whether or not any samples would pass or fail QC. So I received notification that one of the samples failed QC because it had less than one microgram. However, I previously confirmed before submitting that I don't need to submit a full microgram, and they can work with far less than that. So, in any case, so I said, please proceed with library construction and sequencing uh, with all samples. So that was late last week. And they confirmed that they'll be going ahead, and we should receive sequencing data in 10 to 12 weeks. Wow. So what does that put us at, like, July, end of July? It's like three months. So, yeah. It's like July, August, maybe early September. Wow. Yeah. Looks like we're basically going with these libraries with the theme being this round infected versus uh, non-infected. I believe that is correct. So maybe it's just day 9, day 12, and day 26 comparing the infected versus non-infected, does that seem? Yes, that seems correct. Okay. Yeah, so then we could, I guess we could... um, can move on to imagining what happens when the data comes back. Um, I mean, this is always meant to be some level of gene discovery that we'll get some information now on infection versus non-infection and time. Yes. And we still, I mean, as a side note, we'll also get some really cool stuff about the non-crab stuff, which I guess is still still something we could dig dig deeper in the, or maybe we already did this and I just forgot dig deeper into the first transcriptome to see what's likely crab, what's likely not. We, we kind of did that. We t- kind of did that grossly at the tax level, yeah. right? Yeah. 
Um, so we still have the ability to, to, to look at, I mean, and what, what this will allow us is we expect to only find the hematidinium in the infected, right, mm-hmm. in, these, in these samples that, you, that we did, because I think anything that we call infected, is that confir- does that mean it's a confirmed infected? Um, yeah, so from PAN's qPCR results, the ones that we called infected started out having high hematidinium stuff in them. Yeah. And then the ones that we called uninfected also had hematidinium, but very, very, very low numbers. And I can't remember if she looked at different... I think she looked at different time points. So I'm not sure how the infection status might have changed for the ones that started out uninfected over time. Um, her QPCR data is in the repo. <sighs> yeah, I mean, that's the other thing, too, we've, of looking ahead, too, is, is thinking about how we're going to do these individuals. I mean, I know, um, I don't know if you've, Laura and Catherine is doing this quantseq stuff, um, which is high throughput, low dollar way of quantifying. It's kind of, it's kind of um, I'd say it'd be comparable to QPCR in terms of what we get out of it. I, I couldn't do the cost. I mean, you don't know off the top of your head what one QPCR sample would cost. Uh, yeah, it's around the range. I mean, if you um, take into account reverse transcription yeah. and that sort of thing, I think it's around like $3.50 yeah. or something. So, but the advantage of this is, yeah, so that's a gene, whereas yeah, a gene. this would give us whole, whole transcriptome information at the three prime end of the gene. So that's something that's something we can talk about closer to December if we get that far, because the way this data is coming out, we would wait. Well, I guess we could do it before then, but we would need this data to analyze it, you know, to, to line it back up. Or we could, I don't know, it's just something to, to kick around. Um, but I think we should at least wait till this data comes back in September and get some rough um, um, rough information before we move forward. Thinking ahead, though, when you get all these data, say we have six live, one, two, three, four, five, six libraries, is there several things to do? We could assemble it all. It probably makes sense to assemble it all again because we can see what that looks like and even do, you know, crude differential expression analysis even though this there's no really reps at least we'll get some kind of crude numbers yeah um you could also do the thing where we assemble them separately and do some kind of reciprocal blast or you know identify seeing what see if there's homologs in or whatever and that is a way to decipher it but the coolest thing is going to be you know the suite of immune genes that are different in the infected versus the uninfected. What was the approach before for trying to separate out crab versus hematidinium sequences? Was it just solely solely a blast? Mm, I'm pretty sure it's blast with the taxonomy thing. Mm -hmm. Um, Yep. That's probably as far as we took it. Yeah. And we just assumed anything... We probably just we focus on the term eukaryote, eukaryote, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a good, what's hematidinium? 
Dinoflagellum. Okay. Well, you know, there's also going to be a lot of other bugs in there too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, dinoflagellates are eukaryotes themselves. Yeah. I'm sure there's meta. I'm sure there's bacteria in the heme. You know, I don't think so. All kinds of stuff associated with that. It would be it would be interesting to see. I mean, they're probably just secondary. You know, opportunistic bacteria based on infection. Um, but I think there's some really cool. I can't remember now. I wish Simon was here, but I think you know there's some really cool stuff that the hematididium does to the immune system. I think like they, they basically inactivate the immune system. Mm-hmm. So it's not, it's, you don't actually see a successful response. Mm-hmm. You, and that's why they proliferate like crazy. So that's cool. That would be, that would be neat to see. Yeah. Um, of what's, exactly what's going on. Need if we could compare it to it. We'll probably get it by accident. There'll probably be some activated immune systems that might not be dinoflagellate related to compare to, but you know, they're studying on some over there. But yeah, anyway, after we get done, and you know, at some point in the fall, we probably have to. We still need to be able to address the temperature thing, the temperature aspect, which which I'd like to do QuantSeq with, and it might line up well when when Laura is doing QuantSeq, so it could be easy to do. Um, I mean, we could do we could do quantitative PCR now, just on immune related genes too. I mean, that's that's all that's also a possibility. But I, I prefer the if it's not cost prohibitive to do the non biased approach of not assuming that like in immune genes just because they're immune genes, but using you know all the data. I mean, again, you could still make it spend a few weeks just. You know, pulling together all the hematidinium sequences just to get a partial transcriptome just from hematidinium, you know? Yep. Um, that would be interesting and do phylogenetics on that and or cra- and all the other crap. I mean there's plenty to do. Oh, we didn't really talk about the we didn't really talk about the magical way we, we, we ignored the the our fix to get RNA, but Oh yeah. The uh, I mean our listeners have probably been at the edge of their seats waiting for us to discuss that. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Good thing you remembered. Yeah. Um, so we switched from kid A to kid B, and yeah. kid B word kid A didn't. And yeah. We don't really yeah. know. We're not we're not allowed to, to like talk promotion. No, like, not unless they give names. us money. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> not unless they're a sponsor. <laughs> but magically, we just it just worked. Yeah, and they were both we're great, actually. Both column based, right? Yes. Column flash filter. Yes. The only thing that I haven't done is, you know, run the samples on bioanalyzer. But at this point in time, we're just happy to get any <laughs> yields of RNA, mm-hmm. let alone worry about, you know, what it looked like. Yeah. So, I mean, with Kit A, we weren't getting anything to look at, so, <laughs> so it didn't even matter. But I, that's kind of a. I figured I'd do that at some point. Check. You know, at least some quality, of the samples. Quality. Yeah. You know, and samples we I use for pooling since yeah. you know, we have the kids now. But. So you just gave total RNA. Mm-hmm. Yep. And they'll do mRNA enrichment. With poly A, right? Yep. Okay. 
Thank you for listening to Decapod, the podcast dedicated to the Tanner Crab Project funded by NPRB. Check out our website at bittercrab.science for more information.